When I played baseball in high school and then played baseball in college, all eight of those years, the scoreboard was behind me to, to the left side of the field, all right? And so I played mostly on the left side, shortstop, third base, and I could always count on the fact that behind me loomed that scoreboard. And if I ever wanted to know where I stood, where our team stood, just look behind me. It's very clear in sports, whether you're winning or whether you're losing, and if you're successful and if you're not successful, and, and it's pretty easy to figure that out. The scoreboard tells you, without any doubt, who's winning, who's losing. And certainly there were days when that scoreboard loomed really large behind me as we were losing games, and other days where I felt like I was on top of the world as I looked back at the scoreboard. We all have a scoreboard, of course, in life that we operate by, even though maybe it's ill-defined or maybe it's not able to be defined. I want to speak this morning especially to the men that are here. And I want want to highlight for us the difficulty in operating according to the scoreboard that the world sets up for us. The scoreboard that we follow most of the time in life seems to point to how far behind we are. And guys, I don't know if you feel that way, but maybe you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, you know what, I'm behind in the way that I look or the shape I'm in or the way that I feel or my performance or achievement or money or education or the stuff I have. I'm just behind as I look at the scoreboard that looms behind me and I look at that, I realize I'm losing this game. That's how our society defines greatness, of course, is according to those terms. How much money you have and what you look like and how accomplished you are and good you are at different things. And if you want to be great, according to our society, you win. You reach a goal. You earn a reward. You display your skills. You climb the ladder. And that is greatness. Now, if you think I'm wrong, we can talk after the service, but I guarantee you that most of us have fallen into the trap, especially our guys here, of operating according to that kind of scoreboard. But I really believe that deep down, because you are created in the image of God and there is the residue of God in your life, deep down you know there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with evaluating yourself according to that kind of scoreboard, what you look like and how much money you make and how many accomplishments you have and so on. You know there's something wrong. Maybe it makes you uneasy, but the, the momentum is overwhelming. And you don't exactly know how to stop it or operate according to a different scoreboard. Now, let me tell you the bad news. You'll never measure up to that. You you never will. Guys, I'm talking especially to you. You will never measure up to that scoreboard. Now, I don't mean to burst your bubble. Maybe you think you can. Maybe you're the guy who's climbing the ladder and you're achieving and you're doing all kinds of great things you think. You will never measure up. You know why? Because the scoreboard changes all the time. There will always be somebody smarter. There will always be somebody better. There will always be somebody more attractive, more handsome than you. There will always be somebody who's, who's making more money and so on. There always will be somebody that you're behind. You'll never measure up. You'll never measure up to that. I've got some more bad news for you, unfortunately, as I start the service. And I know some of you really came to look for bad news today. So I'll give it to you. Some of you came depressed and it's not going to change. I'll just depress you even more. That's okay. More bad news is that God has a scoreboard too. And you'll never measure up to that one either. You never will. You know what God's scoreboard is? Absolute sinless perfection. Good luck. You ain't getting there. There's not a person here who can win on that scoreboard. You know why? Because every one of us is born with a sinful nature, and as a result, we naturally sin. None of us can live up to, measure up to God's scoreboard. 
That's the bad news. Now let me tell you the good news. All right, I'll quickly shift gears. Here's the good news. You don't have to. Jesus already did it for you. And guys, I want you, if you hear nothing else this morning, you hear that. That you don't have to measure up to the scoreboard of even God's sinless perfection because Jesus did it for you. You know that Jesus came and not only did he die for your sins and was he resurrected, but before all that he lived a perfect sinless life. Why? Because you couldn't do it. He fulfilled everything on God's scoreboard that we can't do. And then he died a death that we deserved to pay a sinless price for our sin. And he did it for us. You don't have to live up to God's standard. Jesus already did it for you. Now, after you come to faith in Jesus Christ, surrendering all to him, then God gives you a completely different scoreboard. He gives you one that you can't always measure, but you can trust from God's word. And that's the scoreboard that we'll look at today. The one that God defines as what truly is greatness. We're starting a new series this morning called Family Matters. Now we know that family does matter. You may come from a great family. Your family may be awful. You may want to be around your family all the time, or you may have disowned your family and changed your name. I don't know. But you know that family does matter. It shapes who you are. And there are family matters that need to be taken care of and addressed. And so that's what this series will be about. I'm starting with men, but we'll also cover marriage, and we'll cover parenting, and we'll talk about women and, and all that. And we'll talk about women in a really nice tone of voice. And I promise you that. <laughs> but family does matter. And, and I want to start with guys on purpose for the next few weeks, because I really believe that if we can reach and have men's lives changed, then we can change the world. I really, really mean that. I really believe that as men are changed, everything changes. Does that mean that I discount women? Not at all. But I think you understand how important the role of the man is in society and in family and so on. I want to start with that. I really believe that there are some things this morning that every man who's here, every young man, every boy will experience if they've not already. I think, fellas, that there is something built inside of you that as you grow, you want to lead you want to provide, and you want to protect. Guys, there's something about being a man that just that, that comes with it. And every man who's here, at some point in your life, that became a part of who you are. Maybe it was when you graduated from high school, or you got married, or you had children. But sometime along the way, you said, you know what, I want to lead. I want to protect. I want to provide. There's something in you. I also know that, that based upon the image of God in you, there's something deep down in you want to do the right thing. You want to do what's right by your family. You want to do what's right by your kids. You want to do what's right by your neighbors and so on. There's something inside of you that maybe you can't explain, but you say, I, I come back to this. Maybe something God has built in me. I just want to do what's right. But I'll tell you this. I, I got a feeling a lot of our guys this morning are overwhelmed. A lot of our men this morning, you're not sure if you're succeeding as an individual, as a husband, as a father, as a worker, as a leader. You, you're not sure... And maybe you don't even know what success looks like in those areas. For a lot of our guys, your life feels like it's out of control. That train is moving forward and you're just standing on the tracks, waiting to get run over. You may feel like time is slipping through your fingers and you are not convinced that you're doing what God put you on this earth to do. And yet you don't know what to do about it. I believe for every man, for every young man, for every boy who's here, for every person who has men around you in your life, which includes all of us, I believe God has something to say to you today. It'll be challenging, but I pray that it's encouraging. And most of all, I pray it's freeing. I want you to know, fellas, as we talk about men the next few weeks, I'm not here to beat you up. 
I'm not here to make fun of you and make you the the punchline to jokes like our society does. I'm not here to tell you how awful you are and kick you in the pants and say you better get going or else. I want to encourage you. Yeah, I want to challenge us, but I want to encourage you. I want you to know God is for you, not against you. And our church is for you, not against you. So turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17 will take you to a very, very familiar story that you may or may not know is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, but I guarantee you know the story of David and Goliath. You know that story. You may not be a church person, you may never have cracked the Bible open, but you have heard of David and Goliath. Maybe you've only heard of it in sports, but you have heard of these guys, and this is where it's found. 1 Samuel chapter 17. So you learn nothing else at church, you learn where David and Goliath is in the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, let me catch up to speed real quick. In chapter 13 of this book, there's a guy named Saul who is the king of Israel, the first king of Israel, and he fails miserably. He doesn't obey God. He doesn't do what God tells him to do. And so God tells the king through the prophet Samuel that I got somebody else for the job already. You'll play out your time, but your family is done ruling Israel. And I've got a young man already selected, and God calls him a man after his own heart, which means that this other guy has his mind and his heart set on the stuff that God's interested in. And that we'll see will be King David eventually. Chapter 15, as if that first warning in chapter 13 is not enough, Saul fails again. He's thick-headed. He can't get it through his head that he's supposed to obey God and just do what's right. He fails again. In chapter 16, David, this young man, the youngest of eight sons, the son of Jesse, is declared to be king in a private secret ceremony. Now, he's so talented in so many different ways, and one of those is playing the harp. He's really good at that. Sounds a little weird in today's world, but let's just say he could, he could get up and down the keys on the piano. He could play the guitar. He's extremely talented, and he is selected to go be part of the king's court because the king got in a bad mood from time to time. The, the Bible says an evil spirit would visit him, and he'd kind of lose his mind for a little bit, and they'd bring David in to play the harp and calm him down. David became an important guy. In fact, he became so important, he was the guy selected to carry the king's armor. And the Bible tells us in chapter 16 that the king thought very highly of him. He highly admired him. Now, chapter 17 will give us a little bit more of what David is like. And we'll lead up to this morning right before the episode where he fights Goliath. That's next week. So if you want to know the rest of the story, as if you don't already, you can come next week and you'll hear the rest of the story. You'll hear how the story of David and Goliath ends. Suspense will kill you all week long. But anyway, <clears throat> there's a simple truth today that I want us to make sure to get. I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to repeat the same word over and over. In fact, I could just say no other word but the word I'm going to give you to fill in the blank every single time. And that's the word I want you to make sure you get this morning. But David is called this guy who goes after God with everything he is. But his story doesn't begin with Goliath. I want you to make sure you know that. This is not the beginning of David's greatness starts way before that. In fact, his greatness doesn't even start when he becomes king and he piles up all these accomplishments and so on. He establishes early in his life a pattern that will lead him to the kind of greatness that God wants from us. David will show us a new scoreboard. I believe God's scoreboard. So here it is, your new scoreboard, fellas, from this point on. The other one's done. They tore it down in left field, put up a new one for you. Here it is. Your new scoreboard is simply this. Great men are faithful men. Great men are faithful men. Now next week you'll get a little bit extra on this scoreboard. I'll talk to you about courage. And the following week we'll talk about repentance. 
And how those are the signs. You talk about why, why was David described as this man after God's own heart? This guy who loved the Lord. Well, he was faithful and he was courageous. And when he messed up, he was repentant. That's how God defines greatness. Amen. Now, that word faithful there is sort of a summary of what we see leading up to and including this episode with Goliath. That word means trustworthy and constant and thorough in performing your duty. Loyal, true, dedicated, devoted, steadfast, reliable, dependable, trusted. That's what's all wrapped up into that word faithful. Now let's look at the first part of this story. Verses 1 through 11 describe it this way. The first couple of verses tell us where they lined up for battle against the Philistines. Here are the Israelites and the Philistines. This is UofL UK going after it year after year after year after year. And the big bully on the block, of course, Kentucky, the Philistines, they line up. <laughs> they line up here and they start threatening the true people of God, the Cardinal fans, all right? <clears throat> Anyway, sorry, I've got a microphone and, you know, just sometimes I use it. Anyway, they line up here and, and they're going to fight, all right? That's what they're going to do. Then, then look at it in verse 3. The Philistines were standing on one hill and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came, came, came out of the Philistine camp. He was 9 feet 9 inches tall. Now, it goes on to describe how incredible Goliath is. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody who plays a pretty good Goliath, but I happen to know a guy who plays a good Goliath, and I've asked him if he would join me this morning. So, Goliath, come on down, if you don't mind. Here he is. Hey, just stay right there, uh, Goliath, and... Goliath, it, it, we'll see in just a moment, was, was nine feet, nine inches tall. So we'll, uh, we'll increase that. Thank you. We'll increase that just a little bit. Why don't you step up here, Goliath? All right. <clears throat> you imagine nine feet, nine inches tall. Now, it says that he was covered with kind of scaly armor, and he wore a helmet, that, and all of his armor weighed about 125 pounds, and he had a big spear. Where's your spear there? And he had his shield, and he's, he's got... He's got Guards on his legs. He is something special. He is intimidating and he is huge. And all the Israelites, here are my Israelite fellows right here, they're all scared to death. You're scared to death. Show me, scared. You're not, okay. So in order to fully get the effect of Goliath scaring them to death, Goliath would flex at them. Yeah. All right, you got to flex, flex. Yeah, there you go, okay. And he would growl really loud at them. They see you're scared. Now this is supposed to intimidate you. And then he would make fun of them, saying, you can't whip me. You can't whip me. And he would also say, you and your God are going down. You and your God are going down. And the Israelites, the Bible says in verses 1 through 11, ran and they hid in fear. Now you get the idea here that Goliath is something to behold. He is great in the eyes of all the people. And I'll tell you this. He's great in the eyes of those who don't know any better because the really great man is about to show up on the scene. Goliath is the great enemy for Israel and somebody needs to take him down. But he's, he's so great that everybody is scared of him. It will take a man of God who truly understands what greatness is all about to fight an enemy like this. And guys, I want you to know you've got enemies in your life that will growl at you and flex at you and taunt you, and intimidate you, and make fun of you over and over and over and over again. And somebody needs to be great and take that enemy down. 
I want to show you this morning in the life of David what it truly means to be great, which means to be faithful. So, Goliath, thank you for helping us out this morning. Good work there. Good job. Goliath will take his seat there amongst the Israelites now. <clears throat> From David, we're going to learn this new scoreboard that isn't about how big and how strong and how intimidating you are. Greatness defined by the world, let me tell you, has never changed. Everybody that day thought Goliath was so incredible. He stood and he shouted, it says in verse 8, to the Israelite battle formations. And he challenges them, you send your guy out who's as great as me and we'll fight. And whoever wins, the whole nation wins. And whoever loses, the whole nation loses. Goliath there standing as the great man. When Saul, verse 11, the king who was supposedly a great man, and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. They didn't know what greatness was. They didn't understand it. And so from David, we learned this new scoreboard that great men are faithful men, but we also aren't left with just that abstract concept. We're, we're left with a game plan. How do you leave today, this morning, guys, and follow the plan to become the man that God wants you to be, this great man? The game plan is very, very simple and involves a few things. The first of which we'll see in verses 12 to 15, and that is, again, this word that you'll write down several times, be faithful, guys, to what is required and requested of you. If you're following along in the back of your bulletin, or if you've scanned that code and you're looking online, you'll see this. Be faithful to what is required and requested of you. Look in verse 12. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite from Benjamin of Judah named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons, and during Saul's reign, he was already an old man. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war, and their names were Eliab the firstborn, Abinadab the next, and Shammah the third. And David was the youngest. The three oldest had followed Saul, but David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. David was the youngest son of eight. Now, I don't know if you know anything about ancient Hebrew birth order, but the youngest son of eight isn't much. He, he was the gopher. He was the guy who got stuck doing all the dirty work because, well, he's the youngest son. Dave, go out and take care of all that. He had to tend the sheep and do the things nobody else wanted to do. The firstborn son, on the other hand, was the one with all the privilege. The double portion of the inheritance, the leader of the family upon the father's death, and all that stuff. So the youngest son really was more like a slave or a servant to all the rest of them. And that's David. Now what's important to remember is that this story happens after he's already been designated to be the next king. You realize that? Here's the next king tending sheep, being shepherd. I don't know about you, but if I'm David, I wonder how impatient I would be at this point. How tempting would it be to view myself as I am the king-elect, and I will not tend sheep today. Why? Because I'm the next king. That's pretty simple. I'm not doing that. Now, if I, maybe you are more spiritual than I am. But I struggle with stuff like that. I, you know, I know we got some really holy people here today. But I struggle with that. Listen, do you know? I'm the next king. I'm not doing this anymore. But I believe David shows us something. That if you are going to be a great man, you've got to first learn to be faithful to what is required of you right now. Just like David shows. You know what? Even if it's below you, even if you say, I, I, why am I doing this? 
This is below me. I'm way overqualified for this. You know, I should have already been promoted out of this position and way past this by now. I shouldn't have to deal with this. Even if you're tired of it, even if it seems pointless, even if it's not moving you forward in any way, even if you'd rather be doing something else, I really believe that faithfulness is about, at least in part, doing what's required of you right now. You may have visions of something else, but right now... Are you faithful to what's required of you? The Bible tells us the Spirit of God was already on David. He's already going to be the king. But first he had to take care of sheep. You get that picture in your mind? You see how how incredible really that is? This guy's going to be the king. But God says first, you're going to take care of sheep. Really, God? Don't you know how good I am at this? God, I'm the next king. I mean, the prophet already told me. We had a ceremony at the house. I think you were there. Don't you remember? God says, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I remember. I need you to take care of these sheep first. God was preparing him for an encounter with Goliath and later to lead an entire nation. But you know what he had to do first? Take care of sheep. God would eventually lead David into roles where he needed a foundation of diligence, of hard work, of endurance, of humility, of strength of mental toughness and dependence on God. And you know where he learned all of that stuff? Taking care of sheep. Just simply by being faithful to what he had in front of him. I wonder, fellas, how are you doing with what's required of you right now? You may hate it. You may resent it. But it ain't changing. Not tomorrow. Maybe not the next day. It's still going to be required of you. So I wonder, how's your attitude? I look at our young guys over here and our young adults and I say, fellas, how you doing with what's required of you? The things your parents tell you, this is what you're going to do. These are your chores. How you doing with that? How you doing with your work ethic and your productivity and your commitment to excellence, even in the little things that nobody ever sees? David was faithful to what was requested of him also. We see in verses 16 to 20 what's required of him and what's requested of him. Look at this, verses 16 through 20. Every morning and evening for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand. One day, Jesse told his son David, take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Also take these 10 portions of cheese to the field commander. Check on the welfare of your brothers and bring a confirmation from them. They were with Saul and all the men in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So, there, there they are, and this is what's requested of David. Now, again, maybe I'm not real spiritual, but I'd say, Dad, come on. Cheese for the commander. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look stupid. Here you go, buddy. Here's your cheese. Uh, my dad sent it. Uh, no, I can't fight because I'm taking care of the sheep at home. Uh, let me talk to my brothers. Uh, dad wants to know how they're doing. It just seems remedial, doesn't it? It just seems sort of puny, his role. But that's what's requested of him by his dad. Look what he does. Verse 20. So David got up early in the morning. Don't miss that. No hesitation on his part. He left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had instructed him. There's something about David that far beyond facing Goliath, far before becoming king, he says, you know what? I'm going to be faithful to what's required of me and what's requested of me. No hesitation, no complaint. He simply humbles himself and obeys the request. He got up early and did it. He's faithful in everything that's requested of him. 
David had to learn to obey before he could be trusted to give commands. It's a good principle of leadership for those who maybe are rising generations. David had to learn to obey before he could be trusted to give commands. All of us are that way. You all know people like that. They never worked where you work. They simply got a promotion based upon some level of education, but they have no idea how to do what you do, and you're te- they're telling you what to do. <laughs> and you just say, look, if you come work with me for a couple of days, you'd figure out why it's so hard to do what you're asking me to do. You'd get it for once. David says, you know what, I'll, I'll do what's requested. I'll follow orders so that when I give orders, I know what it's like. I wonder how you're doing. Are you being faithful to what's required and requested of you as an individual before God? As a son, as a friend, as a husband, a father, a worker, a leader, how you doing? The new game plan includes being faithful to what's required and requested. But also, verse 22, it includes being faithful to your primary responsibilities. Look at verse 22. David left his supplies. He arrives at the battle line, left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster, and ran to the battle line. He grabs a sword and a shield and immediately begins to fight. That's not what it says, is it? When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. What did his dad ask him to do? Check on your brothers. David gets to the battle. Let me tell you something. The battle line and what's going on is more exciting than walking up to his brothers and saying, Guys, Dad wants to know how you're doing. You okay? Look okay to me. I'll go tell him. There's something more exciting about grabbing a sword and a shield and running up to the battle line and saying, all right, guys, I'm ready. Put me in. But you know David's primary responsibility was to find out about his brothers. I don't think it's a mistake that God includes all this stuff in his word and gives us this little look into David's life that he's simply willing to be faithful to his primary responsibility. He didn't ask to go to the battle line so he could just get involved. His dad requested something of him, gave him a responsibility, and he fulfilled it. Now someone, or lots of someones, guys, are counting on you to fulfill your primary responsibilities. They are counting on you. This is not about just duty. This is about making sure that you take care of what's most important. And so I wonder, if you evaluate your life and your primary responsibilities... Maybe you'd say, you know what, uh, for me, uh, that probably means a little less Facebook and a little more, a little more responsibility, a little more productivity. Maybe, maybe there's less attention given to my hobbies and more to what I've got to do in order to be able to have fun in those hobbies. Fellas, I know how it is. Maybe you're stuck in that position right now that you just don't, you don't care that much about and doesn't seem to make any difference to anybody. And you'd rather go do something else. But your primary responsibility, I believe God honors. Maybe when you get home... Tomorrow from work, you'd simply turn off the phone and you'd just be with your family, your primary responsibility. So as a man, as a young man, as a boy, you have several primary responsibilities to God, to spend time reading the Bible and communicating with God through prayer, to your parents, fellas, to take care of what they've given you to do before you consider all the fun stuff you'd you'd like to do. That's hard, isn't it? That's pretty tough. Guys, to your wife, to put her needs before yours. To your kids, dads, to take time to really be with them before you go do the fun things you'd like to do. To your work, to not steal time and and be unproductive and unfocused. To your leadership roles and your influence roles, to say, you know what, I am needed here and I'm going to get involved. Great men are faithful men. 
So be, be faithful to those primary responsibilities. You realize David was set up because he was faithful in his primary responsibility, set up for greater responsibility later. Also, that game plan includes verses 23 to 27. Be faithful to consider how God may want to use you. Be faithful to consider how God may want to use you. Look at verse 23. While he was speaking with him, his brothers, suddenly the champion Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated and they were terrified. Previously, an Israelite man had declared, Do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the household of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. It was a big deal. David spoke to the men who were standing with him. Apparently, maybe he didn't hear or he just wanted confirmation. He wasn't sure. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people told him about the offer, concluding that is what will be done. For the man who kills him. David there standing around. He gets to the battle line. Goliath comes out, shouts at the Israelites. They all run in their tents and hide. And there's David standing around thinking, there's something's got to be done here. This guy is not getting away. Who does he think he is? Coming out and talking about God and talking about the people of God that way. It's not going to happen anymore. And David there just kind of dreams out loud, wonders out loud. I wonder, wonder if God might want to use me. I don't know, maybe you've been in a situation like that, and you look around and nobody else there. Nobody else seems to want to do this. Everybody else seems kind of afraid to take a step and to to really try this. And you say, well, um, why not me? Or maybe you're the one who ran and hid in the tent. You say, I don't want anything to do with that. I wonder, fellas, would you be faithful to consider how in every situation, God may want to use you. David knew this wouldn't be easy. This will be hard to do. Here he is, a little guy against a really big guy, the biggest guy around. But David says, you know what? It looks like there's something to be done for the Lord right here, and I want in on it. I want to be a part of what God is doing. He wanted to kill Goliath, not for his own glory, but for God. So God would be made to look really good, and so the people of Israel would have their enemy defeated. And God had put before him a moment that would honor the Lord and would bring a blessing to David. Verse 25 tells us that. He's going to be made very rich. He gets to marry the king's daughter and his dad's family never has to pay taxes again. Everybody said amen to that. That'd be great, wouldn't it? You get all kinds of money and it's tax free. Wow. And you get to marry the king's daughter. Later on, that's maybe not such a good idea for David. But but that's... That's a great reward. You realize that David here is saying, how can I get involved with what God is doing and experience the blessing of God in the process? There is nothing wrong with that at all. The Bible never questions his motives here. It's okay to say, I'd love to be involved with what God is doing, and I'd like to receive God's blessing as a result of it. I think that's okay. That doesn't mean that you get to marry the king's daughter and you become rich and never have to pay taxes again. That's not exactly the same application. But there are always blessings that come from serving the Lord. Always, always, always. And it's okay to say, I'd like to experience that. I'd like to serve the Lord and receive His blessing. David simply wanted to be used by God and experience the blessing in the process. So I wonder, have you stopped to consider how God may want to use you right where you are? In your family. Husband, dad, son, 
How can God use you right now in your own family? Maybe you're just going through the motions day after day. I just hope to make it today and nothing goes wrong. And I'll move forward to the next day. And you haven't stopped in a while to consider, God, how can you use me in this situation? Life's tough right now, but how can you use me? Maybe at work you say, you know what, I don't like what I'm doing. I wish I didn't have to show up here. I'd like to tell them, take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. Maybe you wouldn't use those terms, but Johnny Paycheck did. All right? <laughs> maybe you'd like to say that. But maybe tomorrow when you walk through those doors, your prayer would be, Lord, maybe things aren't going to change right now, but how can you use me here? And that person that annoys you to no end at work, you say, God, give me five stones so I can hit him in the head with one of them. And no, no, <clears throat> that's later on in the story. God, how can you use me with this guy, with that lady at work that just drives everybody crazy, with that boss who just never ends? How can you be used by God? If you stop to consider that, if you stop to consider how God may want to use you at work or even at church, say, Lord, I've just been taking up space for a long time at church and I come each week and I'm not doing much. And How can you use me? I guarantee you God will answer that prayer. And He'll show you, here's a way you can be used. Here's a person. Here's a situation. Here's, here's somewhere I want to use you. Great men are faithful men. And faithful men always consider how God might want to use them. And then the final part of this game plan, verses 28 to 30. Be faithful to God in spite of enemies and opposition. Look at this in verse 28. David's oldest brother Eliab listened as he spoke to the man. And he became angry with him. Why would you come down here, he asked. Why'd you leave those few sheep with, with the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. What have I done now? Protested David. It was just a question. Then he turned from those beside him to others in front of him and asked about the offer. The people gave him the same answer as before. David was faithful to God in spite of enemies and opposition. The enemy stands out there in the distance. Goliath, nine feet, nine inches tall. But you realize his greatest opposition is right in front of him? His family? People that are closest to him. It should have been encouraging him to follow the Lord. They are the most discouraging people to him. Do not be surprised, guys. When the people from whom you should receive the greatest encouragement for serving the Lord are the ones who don't get it. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked when somebody close to you says, Well, I guess you've lost your mind. You're religious now. Is that right? I guess now you're going to get serious about all this stuff. You're a Jesus freak. I guess that's who you're going to be now. Don't be surprised when that happens. The very people who should have been supporting David are the first to say, why in the world are you here? you got some ulterior motive. You're just trying to promote yourself, make yourself look good in advance here, aren't you? David's response is classic. What have I done now? It's just a question. Am I not entitled to ask a question? David basically looks then, here's the response that I think can be an application for you when you face opposition from people close to you for following the Lord. You don't get it. I love you, but you don't get it. And you know what David does next? He, he, said, he turns from those on the side to those in front. He, he turns from the opposition to the opportunity that God has for him. And he inquires again, how can God use me? He's faithful to God in spite of the enemies. There are going to be lots of people who treat you as if you've lost your mind for following the Lord. It will never be popular. It will likely never be understandable when you commit to be faithful to God in all areas. Lots of folks are going to try to pour water on your fire and question your motives. Maybe they're jealous. Maybe they don't really get it. They don't understand. 
But you have got to commit to be faithful, even if everybody else, and particularly those close to you, aren't willing to support it. Great men are faithful men, and especially faithful to God, no matter what. David was faithful, and he became great, not because of the things he did, but only because of a deep love for God and God's blessing and anointing on his life. The next part of the story, I'll tell you the end of it. I know it was going to bug you all week what happened, as if, again, you don't know. He kills Goliath. It's a really great story. Yeah, sorry, I know it. Yeah, ruined it. He kills Goliath. He takes him down. And all the Israelites celebrate. And David rises eventually to become king. And they all lived happily ever. That's, That's not exactly how it goes, but... But David conquers their greatest enemy. And you know in doing that, he foreshadows Jesus Christ, who takes down our greatest enemy on the cross. Jesus takes down death and sin. He takes down the penalty of sin, which is death, and he takes down the power of sin, which keeps us all bound up. And David foreshadows that by conquering this great enemy. He foreshadows Jesus as a faithful man. Jesus is faithful like no one has ever been. Faithful to the point of absolute, sinless perfection. And the Bible tells us very clearly that you can only be faithful and you can only be great because of Jesus living through you. It won't happen just by trying harder. So guys, the message is not, go try harder. Go buckle down tomorrow at work. Go try really hard this week at home. That's not the message. The message is throw your hands up and say, Lord, I can't do it. I can't achieve the scoreboard that you've put before me, and so I need Jesus Christ to live through me and do it on my behalf. That's it. The only hope you have. You you keep trying harder, and you'll keep frustrating yourself and coming right back to the point where you don't know what to do, which is the point God wants you to be at, where you throw up your hands and say, Lord, I'm done. And maybe this morning you say, I'm not faithful in any area that you've talked about this morning. What do I need to do? Well, the last thing you need to do is walk out and just try harder. The thing you need to do this morning is to get on your knees before your Savior, Jesus Christ, and surrender. That's it. To say, I'm done with me and I want you. I confess my sin and I'm throwing it at you because you can take it and you've paid for it. And guys, I don't know if this message for you is a discouraging message as you look and say, oh my goodness, I'm none of that. And all the people sitting around me know it. In fact, I feel like they've been staring a hole through the back of my head this whole time as he's talking. You may feel that way this morning. You know what your only hope is? I just said it. Get on your knees and surrender to Jesus Christ. That's it. You say, that sounds like I'm doing nothing. That's exactly right. You're doing nothing. Jesus now takes over and He lives His life through you. That's where you start. And then that scoreboard is possible. Only through the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit can you be faithful. And can you be great. David was seen as great long before he killed Goliath. Long before he became king. Long before all the accomplishments piled up. That Goliath moment, that becoming king, those things don't happen if David had not established this new scoreboard and this new game plan. So guys, great men are faithful men. Surrender to Jesus. Don't ever forget it. Let's pray together. Lord, as we close this morning, 
pray that you not let us get away without responding directly to what you've spoken to us through your word this morning. For the, the men that are here, the young men, the boys that are here, who so desire to be great, to truly be the men and the, the young men and the boys you've created them to be. To be able to, to take down those enemies in their lives. I pray, Lord, that you would remind them that it's simple faithfulness that defines what greatness is. Thank you, Lord, that the scoreboard this world has to offer can absolutely be meaningless to us because of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you send Jesus to be perfect on our behalf, to die on our behalf, and to be raised again to give us new life. So, Lord, this morning I pray that the men here and the ladies here that are praying for the men in their lives, that those men, Lord, would not just try harder, but they'd surrender. Surrender to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us through even a familiar story. Make us faithful. Enable us to be through your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name.